the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. Hey, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, or welcome back. So glad you could join me on the program. This is Gino Geraci. And again, the number is 303 873 1935. If you want to join me on the program, easy to do. You pick up that phone. You dial the number 303-873-1935. And, of course, producer John is in his chair taking your calls. He'll ask you what your question is, and we'll make every effort to get your question on the air. And today, the the, the White House publicly confirmed that Russia has obtained what they're calling a troubling emerging anti-satellite weapon but says it can't directly cause physical destruction on the earth. So you have this situation where um, the House Intelligence Chairman um, is sounding the alarm and people are going, well, what exactly is happening? Uh, John Kirby, um, who's the Nash, who's the White House National Security Spokesperson, uh, said that intelligence officials have information that Russia has obtained the capability, but that the weapon isn't currently operational. So why tell us? What exactly are they telling us, and why are they telling us? So United States officials are analyzing the information they have on the emerging technology. They've consulted with allies and partners on the matter, and again, the confirmation came from Representative Mike Turner. He's a Republican in Ohio. He is the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, and he urged the Biden administration to declassify the information about what he called, quote, a serious national security threat. So what do we think? What do we say? So many people are wondering, well, is this a scare tactic, a fear tactic to try to get the United States Congress to authorize more money to fight against Russia in Ukraine? So there's several different ways of thinking about this. But the way that I'm going to think about this for purposes of this program is to ask and answer a different question, because as we're living in a world as Anne Graham Lotz famously said, she was asked the question, do you think the things that are happening in the world means that the world is falling apart? And she said, no, it's falling into place. So I'll have more to say about the fear factor here in just a moment. But back to the story, U.S. intelligence has gathered very sensitive information about Russian anti-satellite weapons that was apparently shared with government officials. 
And all of this disclosure has been taking place over the last several weeks. Again, 303-873-1935. And the White House uh, chairman of the House Intelligence Committee didn't give details about the nature of the threat. And the Biden administration also declined to address it. But several leading lawmakers, including House Speaker Mike Johnson, who is a Republican from Louisiana, said, well, we don't need need to be overly alarmed. So pause and think about that. Why would Representative Mike Turner, who's the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, be alarmed? The speaker is not alarmed or not that alarmed. And how alarmed do you have to be before you're alarmed? Representative Jim Himes, who is a Democrat from Connecticut, who's the ranking member of the Intelligence Committee, agreed with Johnson saying that the statement, in a statement, that the classified information is significant but not cause for panic. And then Turner's announcement appeared to catch the Biden administration off guard. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan told reporters at the White House that he had already uh, been briefed and that the senior congressional leaders on Thursday told Sullivan not to disclose the topic or provide any details related to it. So pause and think about it. And that is... What information is classified or unclassified? And I'm willing to concede that there's information that has to be classified so that we don't give undue advantage to our enemies. But having said all of that, there's a greater, a greater issue. As you see the southern border collapsing, as you see all of these, the $34 trillion in debt, that you see all all of these like puzzle pieces and people, the Bible talks about dealing with fear. But the Bible says that believers don't have to be slaves to fear. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. In 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So that even when we're dealing with the most difficult subjects that come into our life, whether it's coming from within our own heart, whether it's coming from our our own family, whether it's coming from our news media. How do we deal with it? And of course, one of the questions that I often get asked what does the Bible say about fear? And and perhaps more practically, what's the key? The Bible says, hey, don't be afraid, but 
people are listening and they're going, but I am afraid. And then I say, well, you know, the Bible says you don't have to be afraid because God's your helper. And people say, well, I'm still afraid. And I say, well, you know, in Psalm 27, 1, it says the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And so the Bible says he's our light. We don't have to be afraid. He's our helper. We don't have to be afraid. We can trust him. We don't have to be afraid. In Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose words I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Psalm 56, 10, in God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? And people say, he can do a lot to me. He can arrest me. He can take away my retirement. He can do this. He can do that. Because when you're afraid, there's something deeply rooted, and that is, I could lose something. Well, like what? Well, I could lose my job. I could lose my wife. I could lose my child. I could lose my life. So what do we do? Well, I'll have some strategies about what to do in order not to be afraid, according to the Bible. This is Gina Geraci. I'll be back. 303-873-1935. Hey, welcome back. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. We're talking about the question of how not to be afraid, <laughs> according to the Bible. And, um, of course, I suspect that everyone's afraid about something at some point. And, again, we live in a world where there's lots of opportunities, if you will, to lose something or lose someone. And again, someone has counted the fear knots in the Bible, and they've said that there's like 365 of them, one for every single day of the, of the, of the, of the year. And so clearly there is this repeated command, do not be afraid. And, Again, I suspect that the reason why it's repeated so often is because we're often afraid. And so there are several keys to not being afraid. Number one, trust in God. I talked about um, the fact that when you trust the Lord, the psalmist says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. That's Psalm 56.3. And, of course, faith overcomes fear in Mark chapter 4, verse 40. He says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And, of course, we remember Psalm 23. David talks about 
the good shepherd, that when we go even through the darkest valley, we don't have to be afraid because God won't forsake us. Um, He's our salvation, our strength. And so trusting in the Lord becomes an antidote to fear. So the Bible's admonition to be to not be afraid implies both trust and faith. It was the Scottish minister Alexander McLaren. He said, faith, which is trust, and fear are opposite poles. If a man has the one, he can scarcely have the other in vigorous operation. Alexander McLaren was Scot. He said, he that has his trust set upon God does not need to dread anything except the weakening or the paralyzing of that. So, we trust in the Lord. And another thing, so, so step one, trust the Lord. Step two, don't focus on the fear. We choose what we dwell on. So to focus on the source of fear is to, I'm going to suggest to you, generate more fear. So, so to focus on the one who takes fear away becomes a source of comfort, support, solace. We can choose to fix our thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and, and admirable. We can think on the things that are excellent. You know the passage in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. You've probably memorized it, where it says, Dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. As Jairus, the synagogue ruler, was bringing Jesus home to save his daughter, he received news that his daughter had died. And immediately, immediately Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. So that's in Mark chapter 5, by the way. So in other words, Jairus would forego the natural focus on the tragedy and fear. Instead, focus, focus, focus on what Jesus has said and, and the proximity of Jesus. So in choosing not to be afraid, we, we remember that the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world in First John chapter 4, verse 4. So we can trust the Lord. We can not focus on the fear. And then we can remember the future. We remember the future that God has promised for his children. We're given permission to not worry about tomorrow. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, when he says, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We're given permission to go, okay, I am going to deal with today, today. And by the way, this isn't just some cliche or meme where 
you know, or a song, one day at a time. Although this is exactly right, one day at a time. And so we're given permission. Solomon says, be strong and courageous and do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord God, my God, is with you. He won't fail you or forsake you. And so not only do we trust the Lord, refuse to focus on the fear, we will praise the Lord as well. And we will remember the future that he's promised to us. And then we combat the temptation to fear. When you're in a battle and one of the enemy's tactics is to promote fear, in his grace, God has given us spiritual armor to wage war. He's given us a shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one in Ephesians chapter 6. So that's a wonderful promise. The shield we wield extinguishes the fiery flames of the devil's darts, including the solicitation, the temptation to fear. Faith overcomes fear of any kind. And it is with confidence that we can take our stand with the Lord. And part of combating temptation is following the path of wisdom and obedience, which always brings good results. When you lie down, you'll remember it says in Proverbs, when you lie down, you won't be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Imagine where you go, hey, you know what? I'm going to put my head on my pillow. Because I've trusted the Lord. I'm not going to focus on the fear. I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to remember the future. You know, John Newton wrote a hymn, Not Just Amazing Grace. He wrote, How Sweet the Name of Jesus. And he said, How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds in a Believer's Ear. It soothes his sorrow, heals his wounds, and drives away the fear. So, you know, one of my favorite passages is First John chapter 4, 18. There is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. You know, fear is really the opposite of love. In what way? Remember, fear is loss. Love is different. You see, fear says, I'm going to take something away from you. Love says, you don't have to take it away from me. I'm just going to give it to you. Perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been made perfect in love. Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down the life, his own life. You don't have to be afraid of losing your life when you've already lost it. It's already gone. It's already been given. It's already been pledged. 303-873-1935. If you want me to stop preaching, you're going to have to call. 303-873-1935. This is Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gina Geraci. So glad you could join me. 303-873-1935. Thank you for people who are calling and saying, okay, we're tired of you preaching. Now is the time to teach. Okay, 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Richard, welcome to the program. Hi, Gino. Thank you for taking my call. Hey, you're welcome. I had a uh, question. I've seen these advertisements uh, mostly on like social media, and they're talking about the Geneva Bible uh-huh. and how it uh, is different from the King James Version, and it has some different books in it and some different uh, translations of different passages. And I'm not I'm not very familiar with that. I don't see that sold like you see the New King James or the sure. CSB or the NIV. So I thought I'd ask you and see what you had to say about it. Sure. Well, the way that I would answer that question is the, there's a reason why the King James Version would eventually replace the Geneva Bible. Now, the Geneva Bible is an important English translation. And the Geneva Bible was primarily the Bible that was used by the early settlers in America. So the Puritans used it. And so it's it's gaining popularity. It is an excellent translation. Um, and the, the King James is going to borrow heavily from it. But remember, it, it's first published in 1560. And it's the work of Protestant exiles from England and Scotland. So during the the persecutions, uh, they leave. And so the Geneva Bible is put together by English and Scottish scholars. And it was published before the King James Version, which is in 1611. But, but again, um, you're making references to what's called the... Um, the apocryphal literature or the intertestamental literature and uh-huh. even even the king even the protestant reformers didn't see that as quote unquote the bible or holy scripture okay. but but so it predates the king james version by about 50 plus years and it was one of the earliest mass produced english bibles available to the public and so people like William Shakespeare um, alludes to the Geneva Bible in his plays. So when he's quoting or quoting the scripture, which is fairly heavy, he does it using the Geneva Bible. John Milton, John Bunyan um, used the Geneva Bible. And so uh, one of the things that was really interesting, it had detailed notes. So it was one of the very first study Bibles. So there are citations and cross-references, and there were woodcut illustrations. So they were, it was loved, loved, loved. And by the way, I've seen a, an, a first edition of the Geneva Bible in the, in the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. And so the annotations or the notes are distinctly Calvinistic and Puritan. So it comes from a very heavy Reformed perspective, which is helpful for some and which isn't so helpful for others. But it, but it made it unpopular with the pro-government Church of England. And so, as you can imagine, in the time period, um, Mary Tudor became the Queen of England. And she was sort of committed to 
eliminating the Protestant influences in England, and that's why those people made a run for it. And so, again, among Roman Catholics, it became um, a despised version. And among the Reformers, it was a much-received version. Gotcha. So are you going to get... Are you going to glean things from the Geneva Bible uh, that are that you're not going to get from the King James or the New King James? I don't think so. I, in other words, you know, because people ask me all the time, what's the best Bible? And I say, the one you're going to read. If you're not going right. to read any Bible at all and you go, well, the only Bible I'm going to read is the Geneva Bible, then read it. <laughs> read it by all means. Um but but again, what the advantage of like the New King James or the ESV is modern technology, tr- translation tools, more manuscripts have, have emerged over the last 500 years. Uh, so, you know, I like the New King James Version. I prefer the New King James Version over the Geneva Version, but I'm starting to get a a, a, um, a sort of a, a fondness, if you will, for the ESV, which is a revision of the 1971 Revised Standard Version, which uh, colleges and seminaries use a lot of. And right. again, you know, you talk about the pros and cons. There's pros and cons to every English translation. And not everybody can, you know, learn the original languages. And so you want a, a you know, you want a translation that's going to be faithful, readable, and accurate. Okay. Is the Geneva Bible that that Bible? Again, I love the Geneva Bible. I appreciate its role that it played in in history, but so the English Standard Version would be sort of the heir to the Geneva Bible and and the Old King James Bible of 1611. Got you. And I I, I kind of just questioned it because it's like you don't really I don't really remember seeing it when you're looking at all the different versions when you're right. at the Christian bookstore you know or or wherever. Right. So so again to me. What's the best, you know, it sounds cliche to say, what's the best Bible? Well, the one you're going to read. What else? Uh, Well, when you're talking about translation, you're always talking about this very sort of not exact science. Do I say what it means or do do I say what what it says? So, again, when when you're going from a host language to a receiver language, that's what you want. So some translations are literal. They're a word-for-word correspondence, but some are what's called dynamic or thought-for-thought. My own um, predisposition is towards a word-for-word, but is thought-for-thought helpful? Again, it depends on how distant we are from the original language. I use the example. Imagine we're, we're listening to two Russian people speak English. And so um, I say to you, dude, I'm starving. Let's split. And Russians are looking it up in their dictionary. Dude, this is person pretending to be cowboy. 
starving, famished to point of death, split, separate. Why are two people pretending to be cowboys, famished to the point of death, deciding to leave one another? So is the best way to translate, dude, I'm starving, let's split, is it, hey, I'm hungry, let's go eat. <laughs> right. As long so, as you're grasping the, the concept being laid down. Absolutely. Exactly. And so, but, but when you're dealing with something as important as the Bible and the Word of God, then you want, I think, to have as much correspondence as possible. So there are languages, there are idioms, there are figures of speech which are notoriously hard to translate. But I got to tell you something, the Geneva Bible in its day, 500 years ago, awesome. 1611, right. awesome. New King James, awesome. <laughs> right. And and the more and that's why you 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 compare what they say and you you'll you'll look at the New Living Translation and what it says as opposed to what the New King James says and you get a better you, you can make a better right. determination exactly. the more examples you look at yeah exactly so my That's... my advice get all of them no i'm just kidding not everybody can get all of them but hey or learn the original languages all right well, thank, and you. thank you so much Gino. hey thank you for your call this is gino geraci thanks for joining me 303-873 1935. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages. The number is 303-873-1935. I love talking about the Bible and how we got our Bible and translations about the Bible. And there's a wonderful, wonderful book called Introduction to the New Testament by Geisler and Nix, which which talks about all of these things in detail. Hey, if you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. Earlier, I talked about the rumors that were swirling around Russia's plans to launch what some people are speculating are sort of anti-satellite nuclear weapons. And, of course... This is the real concern. So people wonder about the space program and people wonder about the presence of nuclear weapons. And should we be concerned? And, of course, I talked about it earlier that the um, that the director of the uh, House Intelligence Committee, Michael Turner, made these sort of cryptic comments calling for the president of the United States to declassify the information about a space-based nuclear weapon, warning of a national security threat that related to, according to his words, destabilizing foreign military capability. And so sources told ABC News yesterday that the comments were likely related to Russia's plans to launch a nuclear weapon into space that could be used to target satellites. Now think about how horrifying that would be, where you literally establish a nuclear weapon in space 
that can target satellites in space, making it impossible to continue certain satellite-related defense systems. And so that's, again, you know, when we're talking about, well, what does all of this mean and what's it all about? And, and again, we don't know everything about everything. And, and clearly, uh, you know, there's a sort of a speculation that, that we can in, engage in. But the news is so vague that it's very, very difficult to process but what do we know? Well, we know that we have a satellite infrastructure. What else do we know? That that satellite infrastructure makes possible um, GPS. By the way, your phone wouldn't work the way it works unless there's satellites in space. The Internet won't work the way it works unless there is satellites in space. And so a lot of the military and defense infrastructures are dependent both on terrestrial technology and atmospheric technology. And so people talk about the space treaty program. So this is the other kind of situation where have countries agreed, hey, look, we're not going to place nuclear weapons in space. And so that's the other alarming situation. There was an expert named Steve Andreessen at the Humphrey School of Public Affairs. He told the New York Times, once you have orbital nuclear weapons, you can use them for multiple purposes. You can use them for more than just taking out satellites. He didn't go into detail about what some of the other uses might be, but as you can imagine, it's going to be pretty alarming. And um, lawmakers and their counterparts in Europe are becoming increasingly worried about a space-based nuclear weapon that could threaten the satellite system. And according to experts, if the weapon were ever deployed, entire communication networks, both civilian and military, could be plunged into darkness. And so this is the kind of, well, what do we do? What do we, what do, we do about this situation? And the powers that be and officials in, in the military – are basically warning that the United States of America simply doesn't have a way to protect itself from such a weapon. Now, pause and think about that for a moment, because it's either true or false. So we do have a way to protect ourselves from such a weapon, or we don't. I don't know if that information is classified or declassified. I don't know if it's true or not true, but several experts have been pointing out that Russia's invasion of Ukraine 
may or may not have something to do with this positioning of a nuclear, of a global atmospheric nuclear satellite system. So there are world powers like Russia and China. They have literally been making strides and developing weapons capable of taking out an adversary's satellite. In 2021, the Russians intentionally blew up one of their own retired satellites with a direct ascent anti-satellite just to prove that it could be done. And by the way, a similar test was done by China in 2007. So who knows? 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. By the way, the treaty that we people have been making reference to is the 1967 Outer Space Treaty, which Russia signed forbidding all orbital nuclear weapons. But Russia has increasingly chosen to opt out of other Cold War arms control treaties, according to the New York Times. So 303 303- 873-1935, that's my number, if you want to join me on the program, and uh, happy to take your calls, answer your questions, but again, I know that we're getting close to the end of our program, I do want to let you know that I am going to be, um, where am I going to be? I am going to be at Grace Bible Church in Longmont on Sunday. I'm going to continue our study through the book of Colossians, so I will be at Grace Bible Church in Longmont. Weather permitting, I I understand that more snow is on the horizon. And, um, you know, I was thinking about that question about the most accurate Bible translation, and that's kind of a really tough question Tuesday question. Because when you're asking the question, what's the best one, it's sort of like, you know, what's the best brand of truck? And even though my answer is the one you're going to read, some people might say, well, the one you're going to drive isn't really an answer to the best truck. There's all kinds of trucks, and they have all kinds of features. How am I in the world supposed to explain what's the best brand? And again... You have to think about all of the criteria. What are you going to do with the truck? What do you want it to do? And, of course, each translation follows certain uh, translation principles. And so all of these are important things that you have to ask when you are trying to settle on a good English translation. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks so much for joining me. Hopefully, prayerfully, I'll be back tomorrow taking your calls answering your questions. Thanks for joining me. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.